Okay, so on today's episode is Bulletin, specifically Ali Kriegsman and Alana Branston. So in this episode, we get really deep into what what you know what is the new role of retail? What does it mean to be a store um, in the current digital environment that we live in? You know, for me, a lot of the brands that I discover and that I have come to really love their products are online only. And that's sort of a barrier, a barrier to connection, a barrier to understanding the brand at a deeper level. Um, And so this is a real need for a lot of different brands. And I think that what Alana, Ali and I speak about in this episode really touches on a lot of the questions that emerging brands or existing retailers um, might have uh, with regards to how to build a retail experience that truly resonates with today's customer. That's what I got from it. And I learned a lot. Uh, And I'm sure you will too. So with that, I'll stop talking and... Please enjoy the episode with Ali and Alana of Bulletin. Ali and Alana, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, tell me about the moment you you knew there was a need for uh, for Bulletin. So, um, this is Ali. Alana and I started Bulletin as a completely different company. It wasn't a physical retail company by any means. Um, When we initially launched Bulletin, it was a shoppable magazine, actually, that curated our favorite internet brands um, and digital-first brands that really only sold online. Um, We felt like Etsy... Um, you know, was doing a relatively okay job of featuring these more independent brands, um, but that the product experience was really bad. Like this, you know, gross Amazon-esque product grid just wasn't really the best way to shop, um, you know, cool underground brands online. Um, so initially we created this almost like Etsy alternative where we curated the coolest online-only brands and built like this beautiful editorial magazine where you could shop their products through the story. Um, We quickly realized that version of our company wasn't scalable. um, We weren't making any money. And the moment we realized there was a need for bulletin was um, we were in Y Combinator's fellowship program at the time. It's a version of Y Combinator that no longer exists. But um, back then it was $20,000 to do a version of YC remotely. So we were based in New York. Um, We were in touch with uh, Kevin Hale, who was our Y Combinator partner about once or twice a week. Um, And when we realized this magazine business wasn't growing, we basically just pulled over 100 brands um, that were selling with us online at the time. And we asked, you know, how can we help you? Like, clearly, this uh, online channel we built isn't getting you any sales. <laughs> so what can we yeah. do that would actually help you grow your business? And all of them unilaterally said they needed, you know, uh, more opportunity to sell in 
real life in physical retail space. So what we did to solve for that was um, for about eight months, we did these temporary retail activations, um, you know, all over the city, ranging from, you know, putting up tables and tents for brands to sell from in bars to parking lots. Um, And once we did that version of the company, um, we again realized it wasn't scalable. You know, we couldn't build like a global company running a bunch of pop-up markets over the weekends, like in multiple cities at once. So that's when we opened our first store. Um, And we basically, you know, created this retail membership model where smaller brands could pay a low monthly fee to sell with us rather than doing wholesaler consignment. Um, And really, yeah, realizing the need for that was just kind of a product of speaking with our brands, asking them what they needed um, and how we could be helpful. So obviously in that is like this kind of YC ethos, you know, talking to um, users and like getting feedback. Um, Do you, is that something that you continuously do today? And if so, kind of what are the things that are the brands that you work with are that are kind of popping up um, in, you know, how, how they want their products to uh, be displayed in retail or or things along those lines? Like what are their struggles now? Yeah, we definitely, this is Alana, we definitely continue to do that. I mean, you can kind of tell like how much doing that just informed the entire business model and uh, really helped us figure out like what the company should actually be. Um, Even once we opened the first store, there was still a lot of optimization to be done on our end and just like figuring out what the store should be about. Um, We basically launched the first store in November and it was very much just like a store as a service. It, like it was basically just reflecting the business model, but it didn't really have a clear point of view or a clear brand. Um, and so we started looking at the customer data and the like uh, transaction data and like understanding what was actually performing in the stores. Um, and we saw that a lot of these um, kind of like bold, like feminism related products were really like spiking where the other ones weren't. And so we used that feedback from our customers to kind of inform the brand. And, you know, if you're familiar with the brand now or have been to one of our stores, that's really, really core to what we're about. Um, And then as far as talking to the brands and like just understanding um, what they need, I think like once we move to the like kind of actual physical retail spaces, um, just understanding like what their needs are were as a brand um, to be selling in that space. So for example, a lot of the online brands that we work with have never sold in store before. So understanding like how we could help with that as far as like packaging is a big consideration for them. Um, Price point in store or like display. Um, So Maggie on our team, who's the director of product and store experience works with, um, I would say about half of our brands one-on-one um to help them figure out like what they should look like in store and what changes need to be made to their product or display so it actually performs well in store hmm. and uh, out of curiosity like if like let's say i'm a brand uh online brand and i want to you know have my product um in store and i want to kind of reach new customers that way in terms of like you know the the general you know, like retail business school things is like per square foot, right? Like 
the, the amount of space that you take up in a retail store. Is, is that kind of how it works as well? Like, what if I said, okay, I want to take up half the store. Is that a possibility for me? Or I want to take up only, you know, like one fiftieth of the store. Like, how does that kind of work? Yeah, so so we used to do it that way. We used to charge by the square foot and the store was very separated by brands. So you were almost getting your own little booth like in the store. So and so that didn't really work that well for us. Like so that the second store we opened was actually like reflecting that model and everything was really separated out. Um and so what we did is we started doing uh this like mixed merchandise model instead. So you know, we have like 40 to 50 brands in each store and their products are merchandised all together. And they kind of have um, more of like a lifestyle feel rather than it being like brand one, brand two, brand three, and having them all lined up. Right. Um, and right. so we found that the brands perform much better that way. It's a much better customer experience. Um, right. And yeah, that's kind of how we lay out all of our stores now. Yeah. And because, because right. of our business yeah. model too, like we operate on this retail membership model, but it is kind of blended with a consignment model as well, where Bulletin is taking a percentage of every product sale. So oh, it wow. doesn't really make sense for us to, you know, charge a brand, let's say an increased fee to take up more of the store without knowing if our customer will like their product and buy their product, because that means we could be losing sales or we could be losing you know, that opportunity to connect with the customer if we've oversaturated the store with uh, membership brands that want to take up, you know, more space. But if if their products aren't necessarily connecting with our customer, it's not really worth it for us. Like we're really focused on getting the best possible products um, and top performing product categories in the space for the customer rather than like shelling out or doling out, you know, large chunks of space to brands that want to pay us for increased square footage, but may not necessarily translate for the customer. Right. right. Because in that case, it would be like, how is that much different than like, a, you know, renting at a pop-up shop or something along those lines? Right. Exactly. And the stores are supposed to feel very exploratory and discovery. Um, right you know, oriented and very editorial. Um, and that that was a big learning for us when we opened our store that was very like segmented out by brand. It just didn't convert and like the customer didn't understand the the store experience. Well, that's really interesting that you say more editorial. So like in my mind, like literally when you said that I I saw like, you know, you you're flipping through a magazine, right? And uh like a you know, maybe a kinfolk esque type of magazine and it's like all these different issues are thematic obviously and um you know it tells a different a different story and they change and they're kind of malleable um so with that it um it, it makes me think of this idea of fluid real estate which is kind of a in vogue um thing you know you have these these places like we work and breather um an alley into a low you know to a to a lesser degree like show house and places like that um you know were these places kind of inspiration do you look at them still uh to kind of inform how you think about your business and how you think about the customer experience or are you kind of writing your own writing your own um your own your own magazine article so to speak <laughs> Um, I think it, at the beginning, it was definitely something that we were, we were looking to a lot. Um, I think when we opened the first store and we were trying to figure out the model and the pricing and this idea of like a membership, 
um, we were definitely looking at those businesses and understanding like how their pricing model worked and like what technology they were using. Um, and then I think the, the things that we really like to look at were how those places actually included community into the space. So rather than just feeling like a bunch of people coming together and paying for space, like what elements do they incorporate into this space? So it actually felt like this was a connected group of people all coming together. Um, I think Soul Cycle does an incredible job of this. Um, the the wing does an incredible job of this. Um, even like, I don't know, like certain like workout classes where you feel like it's just like a real community and like, yeah, you're all there paying money to like use this space, but it feels like something more than that. Um, and we would look at like how they did that. So um, with the wing, like they definitely use like interior design for that, where it's like, uh, like really speaking to what kind of customer they have, um, soul cycle, like everything from the music to the things they talk about in class. Um, they like use that as a way to bring that community together. And so we definitely looked at those businesses, uh, as we developed bulletin. Is now, do you, is community something you actively try and, um, facilitate like outside of uh the the kind of brand experience like do you say hey you know in store we're doing x y and z um you know informational thing or learning experience or workshop or i think i did read something about a workshop and things like that but. yeah yeah we do a lot of events and programming in and outside of our stores um i think especially because bulletin has such a strong point of view um you know we're all about making it easier for women to shop from other women in our existing stores right now, empowering women in our product selection and the store design. Like there is a little element of you need to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Um, yeah. And so for us, you know, doing programming for our customer that not only ties into store messaging, but ties into what she cares about is really important for us as a brand. So we've done everything from a panel on, you know, Planned Parenthood services and our reproductive rights to a panel we did last week on um, sex and pleasure and self-fulfillment as part of, you know, almost this anti-Valentine's Day programming. We do Write Your Representative nights um, every week in both of our stores where you can come in, get a free bulletin postcard um, and write your congressmen and women about, you know, relevant issues and policies uh, that you want to speak out for or against. Um, and we're doing an event series for International Women's Day um, where women can come and donate, you know, gently used professional attire um, in, you know, in support of an organization called Dress for Success, um, you know, that helps women uh, get back on their feet, whether they're veterans or they've struggled with homelessness um, and helps put them in, you know, a professional environment. So for us, it's really about connecting all of the different dots of bulletins, messaging and values and what we care about, and then infusing that into actual events where our customer can come meet other customers, you know, interact with the brand and do something physical and interactive. Um, and we do a lot of, you know, community building on Instagram as well, um, you know, through DMs and obviously, you know, communicating with all our customers. We live stream a lot of our events so our online community can feel like they're connected to the brand, even if they can't show up in person. So yeah, it's definitely very, very core to, to what we're trying to do. 
Now, how, how, okay, so it's interesting that you talked about um, your perspective and your, like, your unique point of view uh, on the world, which, you know, um, as a brand is, like, incredibly important, obviously. But interestingly, you're sort of a brand, or Bulletin is sort of a brand that is like a, like a under, kind of an undercurrent for other brands, right? Because you can, you can, uh, you, you, other brands can come and, and, and sell on top of your brand. So how does your perspective on the world inform the products that you um, allow or enable to sell in store? And have you, I'm curious, have you, have you come up to any kind of like points of real debate where you've had to say, well, you know, this product could be very profitable, but it definitely doesn't vibe with our uh, ethos. It doesn't very vibe with our kind of values and, and uh, mission. Yeah, I think, I mean, the the point you made earlier about, you know, Bulletin is a multi-brand retailer in addition to being a brand in of, of itself. I think a lot of our job as a retailer is to be this, like, editorialized kind of, like, master curator in a way. Um, yeah. Bulletin, from the very beginning, wanted to be a way to aggregate these smaller brands that really struggled with getting exposure and getting traction when it came to marketing and brand awareness and give them a platform that made that easier. So for us, we like to think of Bulletin almost as like a beloved digital publication or magazine where you can read about, you know, relevant news and pop culture and music um, from this one trusted voice that's like speaking about a lot of different issues and aggregating a lot of content, but it's all kind of a part of this big umbrella and, you know, like unilateral message. So I think that that's Bulletin's responsibility with the brands that we work with is giving them a platform um, and creating this voice that lends itself to like more marketing exposure and foot traffic um, and just like a more guaranteed connection with a customer. Um, for us with product selection, like that happens all the time. Like we, you know, come across brands that we think are really awesome. And, you know, this happened recently. We realized this one brand we wanted to potentially bring into the flagship the founder had some issues or, you know, personally had values that didn't align with Bulletin's brand. And so, you know, it's, it wouldn't be authentic for us to sell that product, even if we think it would do really well, because if anyone did their research, they would learn that, you know, that brand has compromised values that don't align with ours. Um, and that's just, we don't want to compromise our own brand by just, you know, making money off another brand that isn't necessarily in line with our value system. Um, I don't know if you would want to add anything to that. Yeah. So it, it doesn't come up a bunch. A lot of the brands that we solicit and that want to work with us are very supportive of our voice. Um, you know, a percentage of our proceeds go to Planned Parenthood. A lot of the brands really support that when we are talking to a brand and we realize they don't support that, then, you know, we, we terminate the conversation. Um, but yeah, I think like on, on the whole, most of the brands that we come into contact with are really eager to join Bulletin because they see it as this like master curated environment where their brand can be part of a larger conversation and just part of a larger connection of brands that all support each other. Beautiful. Now, um, what, what's the hardest thing and what's the easiest thing? I mean, dealing with people 
is um, inherently messy, you know, and very nuanced, you know, just any relationship for that matter is kind of that way. Um, so I'm curious as to what do you find really hard and what do you find really easy? Yeah, I mean, some of the hardest things, it's it's definitely super different from running e-commerce, for example. Like, there's a lot that we need to be controlling in a physical space, and there's just a lot of kind of moving parts that you don't really have to deal with if you're, if you're just managing, like, an online marketplace, for example. Um, controlling, like, the customer experience. Training is huge for us. Like, we have um, 15 women that are on our retail staff right now. We want to make sure that we're hiring the right people that can really like be the face of the store and that can define the customer experience. Um, we want to make sure that they're properly trained and that they could speak to the brand and they could speak to our work with Planned Parenthood, that they understand the products. Um, inventory is like, I'm sure for every company, uh, it's just a very, very like unwieldy piece of the business. Um, we have hundreds of products coming through the stores all the time because of our model. Um yeah, I think it's it's definitely a lot to handle. Um, and then even in the, the stores themselves, I mean, we have to deal with maintaining a space. So like if the toilet breaks, if like a light goes out. There's um, no heat there's for no weeks heat and for weeks. weeks. Which we've dealt with. Um, I think we have like a roster of, you know, 15 different contractors here in the city that are helping us with like all different types of things. Um, but I think having those spaces and having this kind of like physical place that people can walk into um, is like one of the best parts of our business. Um, I think it is to me like a physical space or like a really great retail experience is to me the best way that you can make like an impactful, memorable customer experience um, way more so than the online parts of our business or the social parts of our business. Um, you know, you can really, you can control everything. So everything from the music that's playing to the way that the space is scented, the lighting, the ambiance, um, it allows us to kind of create this like world for our brand that a customer can not only walk into, but they can also interact with, they can bring their friends. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the easiest thing, like opening and running physical spaces, but I think it's by far our favorite part of, of the business. So I was listening to this uh, video with this, um, I guess, VC, um, who said, you know, the leaders of the next generation of commerce are looking to make visceral uh, connections with their customers. And, and we sort of touched on the idea of community, and we sort of touched on the idea of training and, and making sure that um, um, kind of employees, I guess, or, or uh, retail um, staff members can you know really speak to the product and really try and maybe kind of you know create a friendship with the the customers but um what other things create connection and what are what are some of the things that you have learned by observing your uh customers that you know really makes a, a deep deep connection a human connection yeah i mean outside of the community piece which we already talked about i think um purpose for us is really huge so building stores and building a brand that is very identity driven um we know that our customers really want to support brands that um align with their values uh and i think for us like everything we do with planned parenthood everything we do with like supporting female entrepreneurs um even our staff our staff is fully female um and so i think we are making it very very easy for our customers to support 
women and to support the different causes that we care about. And we do it in a way that's very fun and, and just simple for them. Like you can literally walk into our stores and we have um, dip jars everywhere, which is basically this little device where you can um, dip your credit card to donate money to Planned Parenthood. Um, literally anything you buy in the store will be supporting a female entrepreneur. Um, our events are always really fun. Um, so we, we like to do it in a way where it is very sustainable and it is just really simple for anyone to do this. And it doesn't feel like this thing they have to check off their list. Um, if you go into our Nolita store or Williamsburg store right now, we have um, stations set up where you, you can actually write your representatives about, um, you know, any issue that's important to you. We mail those postcards out. Um, and so again, just making it where it's like kind of this fun community driven experience. Um, but it's something that is, yeah, like a simple thing that anyone can do. So everything that you're saying really, you know, resonates with me. And I think to myself, like, you know, I'm obviously, I'm not a woman, so it's a, you know, it's a little, I can't, I can't go into a, a, you know, and buy or go experience this type of experience for products that maybe I would want to purchase for myself. So in my mind, I think about like, well, um, you know, can other retail stores uh, um, replicate this model? Do you think that they have a chance? Because obviously there's a lot of legacy infrastructure and deals and things that they have. Um, or is it something where you kind of alluded to before as you're seeing yourself as you know, store as a service and maybe part of that kind of e-commerce stack like, you know, SendGrid or Shopify or, or Shipo, things like that. Um, so do you see yourself branching off into different categories or not even categories, different Customers. target markets? Different, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that we're approaching at least like the next three to four years is to really hone in on our existing customer, which is an 18 to 24 year old female um, mm -hmm. and creating different experiences for that customer specifically. So um, a lot of the product categories we have now are around um, apparel, accessories, jewelry, and beauty. Um, and I think there's a lot of other experiences and product categories that we could create for that customer specifically. Um, but I do think that as we get better and better at this and we're, as we're able to open stores more quickly, I could see a world where we are creating this for other types of customers, definitely further down the road. Um, yeah. But I think this idea of a store as a serve as a service and making it really easy for brands to get into it to a space like a lot of other types of brands could do this i think the difference is is it can't be as simple as oh i'm gonna go and copy bulletin's model and i'm, I'm gonna build a store where brands pay to be there i think you have to take the time to build the brand and to really really understand the customer and what his or her needs are um, and why they're coming to you. Um, so I think, yeah, if if another company wanted to um, do this for men age 20, 18 to yeah, 24. I think, I definitely think there is a playbook there. Um, and I, But I do think down the road, um, that might be a playbook that we're following for other customers, but definitely not in the short term. Right. Oh, that's, that's super interesting. Um, okay, so social is obviously a big thing. Like I would imagine that, or you, you spoke to the fact that earlier that, you know, um, a lot of maybe data or things like that come from Instagram and inform, um, 
you know, a lot of the decisions uh, and also maybe store design to mm-hmm. uh, by exception. So what is, the, what is kind of the relationship between retail um, and channels like social? Um, and also, and this is kind of a weird question, but attached to that, I'm curious about the, the changing nature of store design and how you um, think about that. Maybe it's highly tethered to the fact that you just have to know uh, the audience um, and the target as you spoke to earlier. Yeah, so I really like to think of Instagram as our brand personality and then the physical retail store as the brand experience. So for us, Instagram is such a strong community building tool for us. And it's also, you know, the thing that lets us broadcast Bulletin as a brand to people in other cities and, you know, people all over the world, frankly. Um, And it gives them this incentive to actually not only shop with us online, but physically show up at one of our stores if they are ever in New York. And that happens a lot. Like people come into the store, I would say, half the time, if you poll them and ask, how did you hear about Bulletin? They always say Instagram. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's awesome. It's it's a really exciting thing for us because it allows us to be creative. It allows us to build brand voice and just communicate the values of the brand in ways we can't necessarily do in store bound by physical space. Um, and it's been a huge recruiting tool for us as well. Like we love scrolling through Instagram. And as a team, you know, we have a Slack channel dedicated to brands we find specifically on Instagram um, that might want to sell in our store. We work with like viral Instagram accounts, um, like official Sean Penn sells merch in our store. Um, You know, and a lot of the merch that she sells was informed by the pop culture Instagram posts that went viral on her account. So she has like a notebook with you know, a face of Miranda, this like cult character from Sex and the City, like collaged all over the notebook because Miranda is like a cult fiction character favorite for of hers on Instagram. Um, and we do the same thing. Like we look at our Instagram performance and the posts and the messaging and even the way products are displayed on Instagram. And we let all of that inform our store design, our product curation, the way that we merchandise in the space. Um, So it's a way for us to both showcase the brand's personality and also, you know, kind of do an intake of what our customer is um, responding to and think of creative ways we can reflect that in the store experience. Um, And then your question about store design, um, Alana really runs all of our store design um, and does such a great job. But, you know, we learn more from every store that we open. So we opened Williamsburg, we learned, you know, a certain set of data and a certain set of core principles. We then applied that to the store design in Nolita. Now we have that information about sell-through, where people spend most of their time in the store, what units get the most attention, like how the lighting needs to be on certain products versus others. And we'll then take all of that with our two existing stores and leverage that when we build out the store design in our flagship in April. Um, So all of these things kind of play into each other. There isn't some like master, you know, uh, system that we use or like Excel equation that we use. Um, You know, a lot of it is very mathematical and data driven, but a lot of it is just kind of paying attention 
to what your customer is doing on social and then thinking of creative ways to um, kind of funnel that into the back into the store experience. Wow. Now, now if you and I'm really curious about this um, idea of um, uh, like uh, uh, the things that you've learned, the principles. Now, you don't have to get into like the specific things if you don't want to, but what, what are some of the principles that you think are maybe like an abstraction of, of, of the specific things? Like, what are the things that you think are different now because of this amazing confluence of um, brands online? So people are kind of discovering things online, maybe. And then, but you also have this physical piece, which is like incredibly important, but, but the, the, um, the existing retail infrastructure doesn't really speak to it. So what, what like, how do you think this is changing? Um, or how do you, like, what do you think the principles of people going into stores have changed? If that makes sense. Um, I think something that we always go back to is understanding what a store should look like given that e-commerce exists now and that Amazon exists now. I think a lot of the ways that, you know, stores that exist now and kind of legacy retailers were built, you know, they were built and designed in a time where all of that like wasn't really a thing. So, you know, people were just going to the stores to buy something because that was the only place to go and actually buy something. And so I think when we are designing the stores and picking the brands and products, like we always do that knowing that, like e-commerce exists and Amazon exists, which sounds obvious, but um, I think that you do have to build a store with all of that in mind. Um, so as an example, like the, all of our spaces are very experiential. Um, they're like usually interactive in some way. Um, the store design is always like really fun and Instagrammable. Um, so we're giving people like other reasons to come into the space and to like experience the space other than just like, here's a place where you can go and buy something. Um, and then I think from seeing how these spaces have performed and like, um, you know, we opened basically four stores last year. And so we learned like what kinds of, um, elements in the space really worked for us and really worked well, given, um, you know, given the fact that we, we do have an online marketplace as well. So things like, um, mixed merchandising was huge for us. Um, kind of what we were talking about in the beginning, like figuring out that, uh, creating this more like lifestyle type of design in the space, really increased sales. Um, price point has actually been huge for us. So um, a, pretty much all of the products that we carry are under $75 and the bulk of them are even lower than that, like under $50. Um, and we figured out that creating a store that is very accessible and is very inclusive where pretty much any, any customer can come in and afford something um, was actually like a really unique differentiator for us. And I do think, you know, if you walk around Soho or some of these like traditional shopping areas, a lot of the stores do feel very prohibitive to like the normal person. Like, um, you know, you, you kind of walk around and it feels like this museum where you can't afford anything and you wonder if you're even allowed <laughs> to go in the building. Um, and so I think we wanted to create the opposite of that and create these stores where, um, you can afford everything and it feels very inviting. You know, the, the women that work in the stores make you feel very welcome when you walk in. Um, and yeah, and I, I think I think that all those elements are really important for scaling this business and for creating stores that that work everywhere. I mean, we, we don't want to build 
spaces that kind of only work in New York, LA and SF. And we're not just building it for the like cool coastal girl. I think we want to build spaces that, you know, could work in the Midwest or that could work in neighborhoods, um, you know, that maybe are less affluent um, where people still feel like, oh, this is a space that I can become a part of and that I can also, you know, afford to, to shop from. Do you think that this, um, I don't want to say retail problem, but uh, the mm, sort of not great, the, not the greatest retail experience still exists within the higher realm of, uh, or higher priced items as well? Like, for example, you know, going into the Apple store, going into like a Tesla store, or vertically integrated store, or whatever, do you think that, um, there there there's still an opportunity there or or do you think those kind of higher ticket items are um well uh merchandised or have good retail experiences um i think it depends on the brand i think apple and tesla have actually both done a really incredible job of understanding who their customer is obviously and then um what like how their store experience needs to reflect the type of product they're selling and how people buy that kind of product um so i don't necessarily think it has to do with like the higher price point um because i do think there's other brands that are more on like the luxury side uh, or just sell like higher priced goods where they haven't gone through that that thought process like i think some of these like legacy luxury retailers um it doesn't feel like they've kind of changed with the times. It doesn't feel like they've built a store experience that reflects um, the types of products that they sell or the way that people want to shop those products. Um, and I think they haven't really thought through, you know, okay, people can buy this online. What are we going to do in our store so people come in? Um, I think Gucci is like a really good example of a higher, you know, like a luxury retailer with high price point goods that has done a really good job of adapting with the times. Like their stores are incredibly Instagrammable. Um, they have areas in the space that feel kind of like hangout areas. Um, they've experimented with different product categories in the spaces. And so I feel like they've really found a way to make their stores relevant given e-commerce. I think that the the this like worse or like non-ideal retail experience it's not necessarily something that higher price point brands deal with i think of it more as just very old historic brands that are kind of locked into a certain bureaucracy and you know are kind of bound by a lot of red tape and a lot of you know, orders of approval and like layers of approval, they're the ones that um, are struggling. Like I think about, you know, big department stores, I think about Macy's, I think about Sears, I think about these stores that, you know, are shutting down en masse that are like closing so many of their physical retail locations all around the country. And, you know, a lot of those stores are a, a lower price point, or they're stores that, have product that go on sales a lot or they're stores that you know are kind of for the every person they're not like a gucci that's a luxury item and you know kind of is speaking to a very exclusive customer um right. i think of anything like negative or you know just like archaic retail experiences you'll find those more in these like bigger multi-category stores that haven't really built up their own independent brand or figured out 
this like editorial layer that we've been talking about. Um, I think that those stores are really at risk because what they offer is the same thing that Amazon offers. It's, you know, a very utilitarian um, experience. It's a very like, I know what I'm looking for experience. And they haven't really um, mastered the art of discovery or the art of curation and made it feel like this editorialized destination that is fun to to go through. Um, so I think that those bigger like multi-brand retailers that we mentioned, they're the ones that I think have this very archaic um, retail experience more so than luxury brands do. Beautiful. I, I, I really love when you say the editorial um, experience. I just envision, like I literally envision a, like McNally Jackson, for example, or a store like that, you know, you have uh, all those magazines there and I can literally just see them like coming to life in the physical world. So it's, that's amazing. Um, uh, we've talked a lot about Bulletin, but um, I'm curious as to what brands inspire you and, and why? Uh, maybe other than the brands that you, or no, even the brands that you um, kind of hand select from Instagram that maybe nobody really knows about. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess I can name a few and then Alana can name a few. Um, okay. I like, I am really inspired by certain Instagram accounts, as you mentioned, that I think have done a really, really good job of building up niche audiences and catering their content to that audience. So like one of my new favorite Instagram accounts is diet Prada. I don't know if you follow them, but they call out, you know, copycats in the fashion industry. Um, they did like really cool alternative fashion week coverage that wasn't like anything else I had seen. Um, you know, they do a really good job of locking into exactly what they know their customer wants. Their customer wants fashion content that's slightly humorous and irreverent that, you know, speaks to um, either copying or really cool new inspirational um, fashion trends that are coming out. Um, and they're growing really rapidly. Like every time I check back at their Instagram account, they have like thousands and thousands of more followers. Um, I think like Fuck Jerry and Official Sean Penn and a lot of these meme Instagram accounts have done something mm. very similar where they're master curators. Like in a lot of instances, yes, they're coming up with their own content and their own memes. But more often than not, they're kind of doing the difficult work of scraping Tumblr and Reddit and Instagram and finding like these peak humorous memes or posts from other people um, and building this destination um, and this audience in, yeah, like this editorial account. Um, and then brand wise, like obviously, <clears throat> you know, Glossier is a, a huge inspiration for us. They have a very similar customer, but Alana and I have been using Glossier for years and their showroom is just so beautiful and so experiential. Um, and it feels like this little oasis in the middle of, um, you know, Soho area in New York. Um, and then obviously all of their branding and their messaging and the fact that they do such great community building on Instagram and they started as an editorial publication and kind of leveraged that community to then create product and sell to that customer. Um, right. I think, yeah, they've, they've obviously done an incredible job. And as of this morning, they just made 52 million more dollars. Yeah. So they're doing something right. I don't know if you want to name a few more. Yeah, I think other ones that we look at and that definitely inspire us. Um, Kith is obviously 
a totally different customer from than what we're targeting, but um, similar as far as bringing in different brands and really building up this community of customers that are just completely obsessed with those brands. Um, I love what they've done with store design. Um, and so that's definitely like a brand that we're always looking to. Um, Soul Cycle, same kind of thing. Like I think they have found a way to really authentically speak to their community and create experiences for their community um, that are really unique to them. Um, and so I think with all of these brands, whether it's Glossier, Soul Cycle, Kith, and even some of like these kind of curated Instagram Supreme. companies, um, they've they've mm-hmm. all they're, they're all kind of touching on the same elements. Like they've found a way, they found a very specific community to them, and they know how to speak to that com- that community authentically um, and do it through all different platforms. So they do it through their stores, through their Instagram, through emails, products. Um, and just making that experience very consistent where you can, you know, walk into a soul cycle, look at their Insta, like talk to one of, um, the people that run their classes and it's, it, you are getting the same brand, you are getting the same point of view. Um, and you just, it's a very consistent experience across all channels. Hmm. That's absolutely, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Is there a point? Now, a lot of those brands that you talk about, like Glossier, for example, or Supreme, or I saw that on your website, you carry um, uh, Dame, some of the Dame, is that the right name? Dame? Yeah, Dame. Um, right. Some of their sexual products, which are like very intriguing. And uh, is there a point of, uh, is there a point of diminishing returns, do you think, for some of these brands? Like um, Everlane is kind of, they hit a, I wouldn't say mass adoption, but you know, some, some, they're in the consciousness of people um, walking around, especially in kind of major cities, and they've opened their own stores. So, would there be a, a purpose you think for um, a brand like that to to explore a, an option in um, in uh, a bulletin uh, shop? Yeah, I mean, so we're already starting to work with more established brands like we kind of started off with um a lot of etsy sellers and a lot of people where it was just you know kind of one person that was creating a product and creating a brand um and so we're starting to tap into larger brands like things and deem like you mentioned um and i think it it totally does make sense for them It, it it really just depends on if the brand um is trying to tap into the kind of customer that we have so um, someone right, like being right. an 18 to 24 year old female is like exactly who they're trying to speak to. So Bolton is a natural fit. Um, someone like Everlane, I don't know if it's as natural of a fit if we're like necessarily their audience, but I do think that the size of the brand doesn't really matter. It's more about, um, you know, is their product speaking to our audience and is our audience really going to respond to this? Um, yeah. But if it does, I think the nice thing is it's it's just such an easy process for them. Um, it's not like the kind of slow process of getting into a department store, for example. Uh, they can, in in most cases, start selling um, usually in a few days, and we make it so it's something they can. It's a channel that they can literally turn on, um, and so kind of working with our audience and communicating with our audience becomes this very uh, seamless thing for them. Wow. Um... Hmm. Yeah, you know, something that has, now that you're saying this, and, and I, as I'm thinking back to a lot of the episodes that I've done before, it all comes back to the to the people, and it all comes back to the audience. Like, that is the one thing that is the common denominator every time. 
Um, is there uh, is there like a way that you've obviously to a certain degree you're sort of your own customer, but has there been a process or a way that you think about putting yourself in your customer's shoes and being able to like, I know this word is overused, but to empathize with them and kind of feel what they're feeling? Yeah. I mean, I think for us, so like I'm 30 and Allie's 26. And so we actually are like a little bit older than our core, our customer. core customer. They're definitely younger than us. I feel like we feel like increasingly old all the time, like trying to figure I'm out like, what do they like? What, what do they like, do? What cool. do they read? What do they listen to? <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we're definitely going through that exercise all the time of just trying to figure out like what products really speak to them. Um, I'd say right now, the best way that we're able to do that is definitely through Instagram and just understanding how people are responding to the products that we post, what kind of comments we're getting, um, what kind of girls we have following us. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot that we do to try and, and speak to them, whether it's just literally sending surveys and understanding what they want. Um, we do a ton of programming as well. So we just did a, a massive event um, last week where we had almost 200 women show up for um, and, and things like that. It's just a really great way for us to see like what kind of girl is showing up to this? What does she look like? What is she wearing? Um, and where we can actually talk to them in person and just understand like what they want to see more of. And we talk to the retail team a lot too. So the women that actually work in the stores on the front lines and are interacting with our customer every day, like Alana and I are usually in the corporate office or in meetings. I mean, we're not really at the register um, and so speaking with our retail staff who does skew slightly younger, you know, they kind of definitely fall into that student age, like 20 to 24 bracket, um, has been immensely helpful because they are interacting with the customer face-to-face -face every single day. Um, and they're constantly giving Maggie, who's our director of product and brand experience, feedback on ways the store could be optimized, like ways that we could better connect with the customer, um, certain price point issues. So that's also like a great resource, having this young pool of women that's actually working with the brand and in the store every single day. I mean, they are a wealth of information for us. Lovely. Okay, so this is the last um, like regular question, and then we'll get into like a, a stream of consciousness kind of uh, question. I'll, I'll talk about the kind of introductions there before. But um, given the chance to improve your knowledge of brand building or retail, um, who would you share a spaceship with to understand their, their approach? So you're going to be in a confined space together for a long time, um, and you get to pick their minds. Who, who do you choose and why? Do Alana and I each get to pick someone? <laughs> yeah, you, you each get your own. You each get your own. <laughs> I mean, Apple. Yeah, I was going to say that too. I feel like it's kind you of- can You can take Apple. You can take Apple. Yeah, I feel like Steve Jobs is kind of like the cliche answer, but I do yeah. think what he did was obviously so incredible. And I mean, it was beyond just, oh, oh here's our brand. Here's our point of view. Like it was just such a- disruptive like from every single product and, and all the other companies he he worked on um yeah I kind of can't think of someone that would top that and yeah I have a lot of questions to ask him I what would you ask him? oh um I think just understanding how and I don't even know if he'd be able to answer this <laughs> but like how he was able to see 
so far into the future and just really understand what it's, you know, it's so much more than just understanding what people at the time were looking for, but like really understanding how the internet was going to change everything and like what kinds of products we would be using every day. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of yeah. easy to forget like how far ahead of his time he was. And then even his work with yeah. um, Pixar and all these other companies, like it's just, it's so incredible, like how many different things he had his hands in. Yeah, absolutely. I um I recently watched that documentary, The Defiant Ones, and I just think Jimmy Iveen is so interesting. I think the way that he and this is like not necessarily a brand and not necessarily a retail company, but I think that the way that he brands artists, like he is responsible for branding Eminem, he is responsible for branding Lady Gaga, like he is responsible for branding Gwen Stefani, and no doubt, like I think that the the way that he turned these individual artists into you know larger really vivid identities that could build cult followings um and obviously that is reflected in the artists fashion in their music in the magazine covers that they do in their cd art at the time like i think that that's just um you know it's entirely awesome exciting creative process that I think is really interesting um, because you're, you're turning a person into a brand rather than turning, you know, a series of products into a brand and a person is harder to control. <clears throat> so I just yeah. think that that's like a very intellectual and exciting exercise that I would just love to like chat with him about forever. Cause he's done that with so many artists. I feel like we'd have a really long engaging spaceship ride together. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Okay, so um, now uh, this is like the quick fire stream of consciousness uh, section. So I'm just going to say a word, well, in this case, a phrase. And I just want to know the first thing that comes to each of your minds. So, um, right. so when I say culture, you think? Music. What do you think? I'm thinking of culture as like brand culture, and I think about like inclusivity. Mm. Um, when I say retail, you think changing. <laughs> <laughs> I think exciting. When I say technology, you think necessary. necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Um, brands of the past are? Um, <clears throat> need to be shaking things up, I would say. Uh, mm. totally. I think they are stuck. Mm. Um, brands in the future need to? Not forget the customer. Ooh, true. Um, be willing to evolve. Ali, Alana, thank you so much. It was amazing. Thank, thank you, you for you having so us, Jordan. This was awesome. Okay, so thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for 
making it this far in the episode. Um, last thing, I would just implore you to please go and check out Bulletin, whether that's on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook, but who really uses Facebook anymore for these type of things? And uh, Or the best option, of course, would be if you're in New York, please go um, to one of their stores and check them out. Uh, I know that when I'm back in New York, I will be checking out their stores 100%. So with that, thank you so much. If you like the episode, share it. Subscribe, maybe. Uh, and thank you. Again, have a nice day.